The French Revolution, A History, by Thomas Carlyle, Volume 3, The Guillotine, Book 1, September, Chapter 4, September in Paris. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Peter Dan. Book 1, Chapter 4, September in Paris. At Paris, by lying rumour which proved prophetic and veridical, the fall of Verdun was known some hours before it happened. It is Sunday, the 2nd of September. Handiwork hinders not the speculations of the mind. Verdun gone, though some still deny it. The Prussians in full march, with gallows ropes, with fire and faggot. Thirty thousand aristocrats within our own walls, and but the merest quarter tithe of them yet put in prison. Nay, there goes a word that even these will revolt. Sieur Jean Julien, wagoner of Vaugirard, being set in the pillory last Friday, took all at once to crying that he would be well revenged ere long, that the king's friends in prison would burst out, force the temple, set the king on horseback, and, joined by the unimprisoned, ride roughshod over us all. This the unfortunate wagoner of Vaugirard did bawl at the top of his lungs. When snatched off to the town hall, he persisted in it, still bawling. Yesternight, when they guillotined him, he died with the froth of it on his lips. For a man's mind, padlocked to the pillory, may go mad, and all men's minds may go mad, and believe him, as the frenetic will do, because it is impossible." so that apparently the knot of the crisis and last agony of France is come. Make front to this, thou improvised commune, strong Danton, whatsoever man is strong. Readers can judge whether the flag of country in danger flapped soothing or distractively on the souls of men that day. But the improvised commune, but strong Danton, is not wanting each after his kind. Huge placards are getting plastered to the walls. At two o'clock the storm-bell shall be sounded, the alarm cannon fired. All Paris shall rush to the Champ de Mars and have itself enrolled. Unarmed, truly, and undrilled, but desperate in the strength of frenzy. Haste, ye men, ye very women, offer to mount guard and shoulder the brown musket. Weak clucking hens in a state of desperation will fly at the muzzle of the mastiff and even conquer him by vehemence of character. Terror itself, when once grown transcendental, becomes a kind of courage, as frost sufficiently intense, according to poet Milton, will burn. Danton, the other night, in the Legislative Committee of General Defence, when the other ministers and legislators had all opined, said it would not do to quit Paris and fly to Saumur, that they must abide by Paris, and take such attitude as would put their enemies in fear. Fair peur! a word of his which has been often repeated and reprinted in italics. At two of the clock, Beaurepaire, as we saw, has shot himself at Verdun, and over Europe mortals are going in for afternoon sermon. But at Paris all steeples are clangoring, not for sermon, the alarm gun booming from minute to minute, Jean de Mars and Fatherland's altar boiling with desperate terror courage. What a miserere going up to heaven from this once capital of the most Christian king. The legislative sits in alternate awe and effervescence, Vernio proposing that twelve shall go and dig personally on Montmartre, which is decreed by acclaim. 
but better than digging personally with acclaim, see Danton enter. The black brows clouded, the colossus figure tramping heavy, grim energy looking from all features of the rugged man. Strong is that grim son of France and son of earth, a reality and not a formula, he too, and surely now if ever, being hurled low enough, it is on the earth and on realities that he rests. Legislators, so speaks the stentor voice, as the newspapers yet preserve it for us. It is not the alarm cannon that you hear, it is the pas de charge against our enemies. To conquer them, to hurl them back, what do we require? Il nous faut de l'audace, et encore de l'audace, et toujours de l'audace. To dare and again to dare and without end to dare. Right so, thou brawny titan, there is nothing left for thee but that. Old men who heard it will still tell you how the reverberating voice made all hearts swell in that moment and braced them to the sticking place and thrilled abroad over France like electric virtue as a word spoken in season. But the commune enrolling in the Champ de Mars? But the commune of watchfulness become now committee of public salvation? Whose conscience is Marat? The commune enrolling enrolls many provides tents for them in that Mars field, that they may march with dawn on the morrow, praise to this part of the commune. To Marat and the Committee of Watchfulness, not praise, not even blame, such as could be meted out in these insufficient dialects of ours, expressive silence, rather. Lone Marat, the man forbid, meditating long in his cellars of refuge, on his stylites pillar, could see salvation in one thing only, in the fall of 260,000 aristocrat heads. With so many score of Naples bravos, each a dirk in his right hand, a muff on his left, he would traverse France and do it. But the world laughed mocking the severe benevolence of a people's friend, and his idea could not become an action, but only a fixed idea. Lo, now, however, he has come down from his stylites pillar to a tribune particuliere. Here, now, without the dirks, without the muffs at least, were it not grown possible, now in the knot of the crisis, when salvation or destruction hangs in the hour? The ice tower of Avignon was noised of sufficiently and lives in all memories, but the authors were not punished. Nay, we saw Jourdain Coupdet, borne on men's shoulders like a copper portent, traversing the cities of the south. What phantasms, squalid, horrid, shaking their dirk and muff, may dance through the brain of a Marat in this dizzy peeling of toxin miserere and universal frenzy, seek not to guess, O reader nor what the cruel Bior in his short brown coat was thinking, nor Sir Jean, nor yet Agat Sir Jean, nor Pani, the confidant of Danton, nor in a word how gloomy Orcus does breed in her gloomy womb and fashion her monsters and prodigies of events which thou seest her visibly bear. Terror is on these streets of Paris, terror and rage, tears and frenzy, toxin miserere peeling through the air, fierce desperation rushing to battle, mothers with streaming eyes and wild hearts sending forth their sons to die. Carriage horses are seized by the bridle that they may draw cannon, the trace is cut, the carriage is left standing. 
in such toxin miserere, the murky bewilderment of frenzy, are not murder, ate, and all furies near at hand? On slight hint, who knows on how slight, may not murder come, and with her snaky sparkling hand illuminate this murk? How it was, and went, what part might be premeditated, what was improvised and accidental, man will never know till the great day of judgment make it known. But with a Marat for keeper of the sovereign's conscience, and we know what the ultima ratio of sovereigns when they are driven to it is, in this Paris there are as many wicked men, say a hundred or more, as exist in all the earth, to be hired and set on, to set on of their own accord, unhired. And yet we will remark that premeditation itself is not performance, is not surety of performance, that it is perhaps at most surety of letting whatsoever wills perform. From the purpose of crime to the act of crime there is an abyss, wonderful to think of. The finger lies on the pistol, but the man is not yet a murderer. Nay, his whole nature staggering at such consummation, is there not a confused pause, rather, one last instant of possibility for him? Not yet a murderer, it is at the mercy of light trifles whether the most fixed idea may not yet become unfixed. One slight twitch of a muscle, the death flash bursts, and he is it, and will for eternity be it, and earth has become a penal Tartarus for him, his horizon girdled now not with golden hope but with red flames of remorse. Voices from the depths of nature sounding woe, woe on him. Of such stuff are we all made, on such powder mines of bottomless guilt and criminality, if God restrained not, as is well said, does the purest of us walk. There are depths in man that go the length of lowest hell, as there are heights that reach highest heaven. For are not both heaven and hell made out of him, made by him, everlasting miracle and mystery as he is? But looking on this Champ de Mars, with its tent buildings and frantic enrolments, on this murky, simmering Paris, with its crammed prisons, supposed about to burst, with its toxin miserere, its mother's tears and soldiers' farewell shoutings, the pious soul might have prayed that day that God's grace would restrain, and greatly restrain, lest on slight hest or hint madness, horror and murder rose, and this Sabbath day of September became a day black in the annals of men. The toxin is pealing its loudest. The clocks inaudibly strike three, when poor Abbe Sicard, with some thirty other non-durant priests in six carriages, fare along the street from their preliminary house of detention at the town hall, westward towards the prison of the Abbe. Carriages enough stand deserted on the streets. These six move on, through angry multitudes, cursing as they move. Accursed aristocrat Tartuffs, this is the pass ye have brought us to. And now ye will break the prisons and set Capet Vito on horseback to ride over us? Out upon you, priests of Beelzebub and Molog, of Tartuffery, Mammon and the Prussian gallows, which ye name Mother Church and God. Such reproaches had the poor non-durance to endure and worse, spoken in on them by frantic patriots who mount even on the carriage steps, the very guards hardly refraining. 
Pull up your carriage blind. No, answers patriotism, clapping its horny paw on the carriage blind and crushing it down again. Patience in oppression has limits. We are close on the Abbe. It has lasted long. A poor nonjurant of quick temper smites the horny paw with his cane. Nay, finding solacement in it, smites the unkempt head sharply and again more sharply, twice over, seen clearly of us and of the world. It is the last that we see clearly. Alas, next moment the carriages are locked and blocked in endless raging tumult in yells deaf to the cry of mercy which answer the cry for mercy with sabre thrusts through the heart the thirty priests are torn out are massacred about the prison gate one after one only the poor abbe sicard whom one moton a watchmaker knowing him heroically tried to save and secrete in the prison escapes to tell and it is night and orcas and murder's snaky sparkling head has risen in the murk from sunday afternoon exclusive of intervals and pauses not final till thursday evening there follows consecutively a hundred hours which hundred hours are to be reckoned with the hours of the Bartholomew butchery, of the Armagnac massacres, Sicilian vespers, or whatsoever is savagest in the annals of this world? Horrible the hour when man's soul in its paroxysm spurns asunder the barriers and rules and shows what dens and depths are in it. For night and orcas, as we say, as was long prophesied, have burst forth here in this Paris, from this subterranean imprisonment, hideous, dim, confused, which it is painful to look on, and yet which cannot, and indeed which should not, be forgotten. The reader, who looks earnestly through this dim phantasmagory of the pit, will discern few fixed certain objects, and yet still a few. He will observe in this abbey prison the sudden massacre of the priest being once over a strange court of justice, or call it court of revenge and wild justice, swiftly fashion itself and take seat round a table with the prison registers spread before it. Stanislas Maillard, Bastille hero, famed leader of the Menads, presiding. Oh, Stanislas, one hoped to meet thee elsewhere than here our shifty riding usher with an inkling of law. This work also thou hadst to do, and then to depart forever from our eyes. At La Force, at the Châtelet, the Conciergerie, the like court forms itself with the like accompaniments, the thing that one man does other men can do. There are some seven prisons in Paris, full of aristocrats with conspiracies. Nay, not even Bicetra and Salpietra shall escape with their forges of assignats, and there are seventy times seven hundred patriot hearts in a state of frenzy. Scoundrel hearts also there are, as perfect, say, as the earth holds, if such are needed. To whom in this mood law is as no law, and killing, by what name soever called, is but work to be done. So sit these sudden courts of wild justice, with the prison registers before them, unwanted wild tumult howling all round, the prisoners in dread expectancy within. Swift, 
A name is called, bolts jingle, a prisoner is there. A few questions are put. Swiftly this sudden jury decides, royalist plotter or not. Clearly not in that case. Let the prisoner be enlarged with viva la nation. Probably yea, then still. Let the prisoner be enlarged, but without viva la nation, or else it may run. Let the prisoner be conducted to la force. At La Force again, their formula is, let the prisoner be conducted to the Abbey. To La Force, then. Volunteer bailiff sees the doomed man. He is at the outer gate, enlarged or conducted, not into La Force, but into a howling sea, forth under an arch of wild sabres, axes and pikes, and sinks hewn asunder. And another sinks, and another and there forms itself a piled heap of corpses, and the kennels begin to run red. Fancy the yells of these men, their faces of sweat and blood, the crueler shrieks of these women, for there are women too, and a fellow mortal hurled naked into it all. Journiac de Saint-Maillard has seen battle, has seen an effervescent regiment du in mutiny, but the bravest heart may quail at this. The Swiss prisoners, remnants of the 10th of August, clasped each other spasmodically and hung back, grey veterans crying, Mercy, monsieur, a mercy! But there was no mercy. Suddenly, however, one of these men steps forward. He had a blue frock coat. He seemed to be about thirty. His stature was above common, his look noble and martial. I go first, said he, since it must be so. Adieu! Then dashing his hat sharply behind him, Which way? cried he to the brigands. Show it me, then. They open the folding gate. He is announced to the multitude. He stands a moment motionless, then plunges forth among the pikes and dies of a thousand wounds. Man after man is cut down. The sabres need sharpening. The killers refresh themselves from wine jugs. Onward and onward goes the butchery, the loud yells wearing down into bass growls. A sombre-faced shifting multitude looks on in dull approval or dull disapproval, in dull recognition that it is necessity. An Anglais in drab greatcoat was seen, or seemed to be seen, serving liquor from his own dram bottle. For what purpose, if not set on by Pitt, Satan and himself know best? Witty Dr. Moore grew sick on approaching and turned into another street. Quick enough goes this jury court and rigorous. The brave are not spared, nor the beautiful, nor the weak. Old Monsieur de Montmarin, the minister's brother, was acquitted by the tribunal of the 17th and conducted back, elbowed by howling galleries, but is not acquitted here. Princess de Lamballe is laid down on bed, Madame, you are to be removed to the Abbey. I do not wish to remove. I am well enough here. There is a need be for removing. She will arrange her dress a little. Then, rude voice answer, You have not far to go. She too is led to the hell gate. A manifest queen's friend. She shivers back at the sight of bloody sabres, but there is no return. Onwards! That fair hindhead is cleft with the axe, the neck is severed. 
that fair body is cut in fragments with indignities and obscene horrors of mustachio grand lèvres which human nature would fain find incredible which shall be read in the original language only she was beautiful she was good she had known no happiness young hearts generation after generation will think with themselves o oh, worthy of worship thou king descended god descended and poor sister woman why was i not there and some sword balmung or thor's hammer in my hand her head is fixed on a pike paraded under the window of the temple that is still more hated a marie antoinette may see one municipal in the temple with the royal prisoners at the moment said, Look out! Another eagerly whispered, Do not look. The circuit of the temple is guarded in these hours by a long-stretched trickler ribband. Terror enters and the clangour of infinite tumult, hitherto not regicide, though that too may come. But it is more edifying to note what thrillings of affection, what fragments of wild virtues turn up in this shaking asunder of man's existence, for of these two there is a proportion. Note old Marquis Cazotte, he is doomed to die, but his young daughter clasps him in her arms with an inspiration of eloquence, with a love which is stronger than very death. The heart of the killers themselves is touched by it. The old man is spared. Yet he was guilty if plotting for his king is guilt. In ten days more a court of law condemned him, and he had to die elsewhere, bequeathing his daughter a lock of his old grey hair. Or note old Monsieur de Sombreuil, who also had a daughter. My father is not an aristocrat. O oh, good gentleman, I will swear it and testify it and in always prove it. We are not, we hate aristocrats. Wilt thou drink aristocrat's blood? The man lifts blood, if universal rumour can be credited. The poor maiden does drink. This Sombroy is innocent, then. Yes, indeed, and now note most of all how the bloody pikes at this news do rattle to the ground, and the tiger yells become bursts of jubilee over a brother saved, and the old man and his daughter are clasped to bloody bosoms with hot tears and borne home in triumph of viva la nation, the killers refusing even money. Does it seem strange, this temper of theirs? It seems very certain, well proved by royalist testimony in other instances, and very significant. End of Book One, Chapter Four